Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We're so glad that you made it this morning. We don't normally have a 9 a.m. service, but we're testing some waters to see if you'd actually show up and you made it. Um, so congratulations. Um, I mentioned earlier in the service um, that we're going to do communion at the end. So if you don't have communion, a communion cup thing, uh, the ushers have them. You can, it's not awkward. You can get up and go grab one right now. Um, easier now than at the end of service. But happy Good Friday, everybody. Happy Good Friday, everybody watching online. My name is Joel, and it's Easter weekend. And we've been reminded this morning that we live in Edmonton, Alberta, by the snow. And it's like, it's springtime. And Edmonton's like, not yet. Um, But this weekend is a time to stop and think about why Jesus died in the first place. It's a weekend to come back to the basics of Christianity, to come back and, and be reminded of what we believe and what Christians have been living out for years before us. And in order to do that, we actually don't start at the cross. We have to go back to the garden. Well, aren't these flowers beautiful? Just reminded me of the garden. You know, we, uh, we don't do beautiful things. We don't sing beautiful songs um, because we're trying to put on a production or a show. Um, this is all about an offering to God. So we want our worship moments to be as best as possible, uh, not because uh, necessarily of just how it reflects our church, but it's actually a a reflection of our heart, that we want this to be as good as it possibly can because this is a time where we offer things to God. And so um, we put up stuff like this, um, not to entertain you today, we put up stuff like this because we wanna do our very best. And so I would see this like stained glass in an old church. And so in a stained glass in an old church, it's a a beautiful thing that we do that is just an offering to God. And and so we just do this. This is just a 2022 stained glass this morning that you're looking at. Um, But anyways, I got off track. We have to go back to the garden. And the simplicity of Adam and Eve's sin was that they misused their God-given freedom. And you know, you see people, sometimes they say things like, well, Christians are the only ones who actually believe in sin. That you don't hear that, and it's true, like you don't hear this word sin often out in the, the, the world or, you know, at work. You don't, you know, you don't, whatever, mess up at work and your boss says, you have sinned. You have fallen short of my glory as your boss. Like, we don't really use that word much out in day-to-day life, but we hear it probably every weekend at church. And people think that the idea of sin is that it's something Christians have come up with to manipulate and control people. And so you hear people say things like, well, you don't need that whole Christian thing. You just need to be a good person and treat people right and uh, your life will work out. You know, it's like the idea of karma. But what's the measure of good? Who decides the boundaries of good? And you, you think, well, they use words like you just have to, you know, treat people right. But what if you're only treating a specific type of person right? Well, that's not good, is it? 
Like if you're only treating your friends and family right, but then you, you know, have maybe in, indirectly turned your back on so many other types of people and you don't actually treat them good, well then all of a sudden your idea of good is not so good anymore. And we can think uh, we are good until somebody else comes along and has a different measuring tool to decide what good is. It's all relative to our version of good, and this could go on and on, and we could always find ways that every single person could be better. You have to decide what your level of good is, and when you start doing that, you start to go down the road of your truth. And so your level of good becomes your truth, and then truth is all relative based on how you feel or how you see truth. And we throw the truth out the window because truth becomes relative to your opinion of truth. So there must be some form of absolute truth that we measure everything in our lives against. And Easter is not about remembering how messed up we are and how awful we are and how guilty we are. It's about remembering how good our God is. And when Adam and Eve violated God's boundaries, something had to be done. See, so back then, God created this old covenant so that we would have a way to get back to him. And to sum that up, is there would have to be some form of blood sacrifice, and then a priest would go into a holy place, and he would, uh, they would connect to, to be right with God for us, and, and it, usually they would use the blood of, well, they would use the blood of animals to be cleansed of sin, but it was a temporary solution, and God knew this, but he wanted a way for his people to come back to him. That's how good of a God he is, so he created the old covenant, but then at Christmas time, he decided, okay, it's time, and in John 3.16, you've maybe heard this verse before, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send us here to remind us how bad and terrible we are, but he sent um, him to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice to us, for us, And he dealt with our separation from God forever. And then we're gonna pick up on kind of where the video was was leading us into Mark chapter 15. And when it was noon, so Jesus is already on the cross, and when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, I'm not, I can't speak Greek, but this is my best, I did some Google Translate this morning. Uh, Eloi, Eloi, lemma, Sabbathani, which is translated to, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus let out a loud cry and he breathed his last breath. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite of him saw the way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly this man is the son of God. So as we heard in the video, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the assumption that I made through the years is that Jesus says this because he's in a lot of physical pain in the moment and that he is not necessarily enjoying this process of death that he's going through and he's upset with God over it. 
But Jesus wouldn't have been, as much as he was in pain, Jesus would not have been afraid of death like you and I often are. So why does Jesus use this language that God has abandoned him? Well, for the first time in Jesus's life, Jesus was truly being separated from the Father. And as Jesus inches closer to death, he starts to feel the separation begin for the first time. Notice he uses the word abandon. See, God must be separate from sin. So when Jesus chooses to take the sin of the world onto his shoulders and into his life, now all of a sudden Jesus must be separate from God. And so his physical pain must have been terrible, but he's also losing intimacy with the Father. So maybe we ask ourselves, well, why can't God just suck it up? Like, why can't God just get over it and be close to sin? Like, come on, God, we're obviously not going to stop sinning, so come on, just come and be with us. Um, I think Habakkuk 1.13 sums it up perfect. He's, when he's talking about God, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So God is holy. He has to be separate from it. You, you know this, but we're being reminded of, of what we believe. God is so good that he refuses to have a way for us. Sorry, God is so good, though, that he refuses for us to not have a way for us to connect with him. And we separate ourselves from him, but he continues to create pathways for us to get back to him. This is why the old covenant was created, and this is um, a way that God's people were connected to him back in the old covenant. And I've heard uh, people sort of talk about the, this idea, again, of sin, that, man, Christians are just a little bit too intense about this whole thing. Some people say, well, if it's not wrong, if it's not hurting anybody, why is it wrong? Like, I, I'm not hurting anyone with what you are calling sin, so why is that so wrong? And who are you as a Christian to call this or that sin? Well, God created us, and he knows what's best for us, and he gives us boundaries to live in. This is what he did with Adam and Eve. He gave them this wonderful garden where they could be close to God. And he said, just, I just want this one boundary for you. I just, just don't cross this boundary. I'm, I'm giving you a boundary to stay holy. But we mess it up. And we create separation between us and God. But on Good Friday, Jesus paid for it. And when the curtain was torn, everything changed. Because when the curtain was torn, now we have direct access to God. And it says, like it says in Mark chapter 15, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The direction is important there. Notice that they record the direction from top to bottom. This was God coming down from heaven and removing the barrier between us and him. This is where the new agreement between God and man happens. We no longer need someone to go uh, to God on behalf of us because Jesus did that for us forever. God tears that curtain from top to bottom. And in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure with water. Not by anything that you and I do, but by everything Jesus does, do we have fellowship with God. 
The blood of Jesus has cleansed us to be with God. And when that curtain was torn once and for all, it gave us access to him. But why is it then that we don't always feel like we have access to God? Why is it that if this curtain was torn and now we can enter the holy place because of Jesus and be with God, why is it that we often feel separate from God? Why did I say separate like that? I don't know. I was, I was gonna say separated and I said separate. See, God tore the curtain away, but we put one back up. How do we do this? There's three ways, major ways that I see that we get in the way of God. We put this curtain back up. First one is the curtain of doubt. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. When we are shaken, how will we respond? And through the years of being in church, when, and I say that people losing their faith, I don't just mean walking away from God forever. I mean people not having faith for what God wants to do in and through their life. People don't lose their faith intellectually, they lose it emotionally. They lose their faith because they're discouraged. In Mark chapter nine, there's this dad who really wants his son to be healed from this unclean spirit that his, his uh, son has. And uh, he comes to Jesus and, and he, he wants Jesus to help him. And Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believed. And the father looks Jesus in the face and, and he says, uh, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. See, things will happen in our life that will test our faith with God. And if you lack faith, you're not crazy. If you lack faith, you're in good company with this man. You're not a terrible person if you lack faith. You're human. But it's so important that we continue to allow Jesus into this area of our lives. Help us with our unbelief, God. Don't allow your past disappointments to build a future theology of who God is. All through the life of Jesus, you'll see Jesus do miracles and he always, he says, your faith has made you well. It's your faith. This is why we cannot get our emotions caught up in, well, this happened or that happened. We must come back to the scripture because the scripture is the thing that doesn't change, but our emotions do change. And there's so much power in our faith. And so what do we do when life doesn't work out the way we expected it to? We gotta come back. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Who, we, we, who can put their emotions aside and come back to God and earnestly seek him. And by faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By this, uh, so, by his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. What does that look like in your life? Well, there's a constant battle between faith and reason. Between, okay, like, I, I know that God can do some amazing things. I know that God wants to bless me. I know that God wants to heal me. But reason says this. Doctors say this. What I've seen in the past, it says this. What I see in other people's lives, it says this. There's a constant battle between faith and reason, but there's also a constant battle between faith and emotion. 
Because we get discouraged, we get disappointed, our emotions well up inside, and, and we have this constant battle between what's the word of God say and how do I feel? And it is all right to question or doubt God, because God's not afraid of hiding the truth. But the problem occurs is when we, be, when we become so discouraged that we no longer allow ourselves to have faith because we're so focused on what has not gone our way and we rob ourselves of what God has for our life. Hey, it's okay if you have a lack of faith this morning. I understand. This, this, this dad was staring Jesus in the, faith, in the face and he still had a lack of faith. You're in good company. He was staring Jesus in the face and he still had a lack of faith. But that's part of what this weekend is all about is about building our faith in Jesus. We don't build our faith on our emotions. We don't build our faith on the past. We don't build our faith on what's happening in the media and the news and what we see all day. We build our faith on the word of God and who he says he is and his promises for our life and our future as followers of Jesus. But you have to be constantly reminded of what you believe. We have the curtain of unbelief. Another one that we have in our lives is the curtain of pride. The curtain of pride. And our creator tells us what's best for us, but we always think we know what's best for us. And Jesus is the perfect example. He hum humbled himself to the point of death. See, humble people, what I've noticed is humble people see the world differently. They enjoy life a lot more. And there's so much opportunity in our area of the world that we can easily become entitled and that leads us to becoming prideful. And what I've noticed about entitlement is that entitled people are always angry. It doesn't matter how much material possessions they have. It doesn't matter how good their relationships are. If they feel entitled to something, they're angry when they don't get what they feel entitled to. I'll say it this way. Have you ever put something for free on like a buy and sell page or a Facebook marketplace or whatever and, and somebody, you put it up for free and someone gets upset with you because you're not gonna deliver it to them? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Someone says, do you, do you offer delivery? No, what's wrong with you? Why can't I? Get, uh, yeah. Entitled people are angry. When we humble ourselves, we become more like Jesus and it removes the barrier that we build between us and God. You know, it's through pride that the devil became the devil. So pride is a very scary thing, and we must be um, just crazy about getting it out of our lives. I mean, like allowing other people into our struggles, opening ourselves up and saying, I will do absolutely everything to keep pride out of my life and out of my heart. No matter what, I will seek so much counsel. I will go to the word. I'll, I'll tell people how I'm actually feeling because whatever I do, I do not want pride in my life. Because pride becomes this thick curtain that we put up, God never put there, that God wants us to have access to him, but we put that barrier between us and him. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In other words, he's opening doors to the humble. That if you will stay humble, if you'll submit yourself, if you will say, I need to have people above me in my life who tell me when I suck, because I suck often. I need to put people in place who won't just tell me what I wanna hear, but who will give me the truth 
so that I can see God and God will show me favor. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We can cast what we are going through on God and this is actually a form of humility. That when we cast it on him, when we tell God, when we don't just hide it and say, it's all good. I'm, I figured it out. I'm a mature Christian. Unlike these youth that are jumping around at the front and being loud and messing around, whatever. I am a mature Christian. When you cast your anxiety on him, it's, when, it's an opportunity to see that he cares for you. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. And it's actually rare that people pick up on their pride. It's one of those things that we're not self-aware to it often. We have it in our lives. It's like having food in our teeth with no mirror, right? It's like having bad breath. Everybody else sees it and experiences it, but you're like, hey, buddy, and they're like, back up a little bit. Maybe put the mask back on. Um, (laughs) It's rare that people are able to pick up on their pride. The easiest way to tell if you have pride in your life The more you dislike pride in others, the more pride you have in yourself. So how often do you say, oh, she's just so full of herself, right? That's that's how we talk, so let's be honest. She is just, oh, oh, he's just so full of himself. How often do we say that? that? That's kind of a revealer of if we have pride operating in our lives because every person's pride is in competition with each other's. Everybody's pride is, is in, with, in competition with everybody else's. Another way to measure uh, how much pride we have is how much do we hate it when people don't notice us? When people don't see what a great job we're doing or what a great person we are. That's another way to pick up on pride that's operating in our lives. The more you dislike pride, the more of it you have. And as long as you're proud, you'll struggle to really know God. But humility is the antidote for pride. Humility is choosing to bring people into the decision-making process of your life. Not because you're not smart, but because you don't wanna operate out of pride and make a mistake out of pride. Humility is thinking about how your actions will impact others over how you feel in the moment. Humility is allowing God into your decisions before doing something based on your feelings. And the real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself or you see yourself as a small dirty object, that we don't have all this, you know, we don't have everything figured out. We need to invite God in so that he can guide us and save us from ourselves sometimes. We need God, we need to invite God so that we stop making a mess of things. So the curtain of pride and finally the curtain of unforgiveness. Forgiveness sounds attractive until you have to forgive an enemy. And Jesus gave us the perfect example for this while he was on the cross. While he's in the process of being murdered, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's in the process of being murdered. Now, if you're struggling with forgiveness, I would suggest you don't start with the person who's currently murdering you. That is hard. That is difficult. Start small. 
The idea is that we want to, if we're going to remove this curtain that gets in the way between us and God, the idea is that we have a habit of forgiveness. That we're so used to forgiving people for the silly, stupid, small, little things that they do that they don't even realize they're hurting us. So that when the big thing comes along, we've already built the habit of forgiveness into our lives. Because we don't want anything to get in the way between us and God. We, God tore, and Good Friday, God ripped apart that curtain and he gave us access to him. We don't want to put our own curtain back up. Forgiveness doesn't mean you pretend you like someone. It's not us fabricating the idea that someone's just a good person, even though they tr truly aren't. You can hate the actions without hating the person. And what I've noticed is that when I allow unforgiveness to operate into my lives, uh, it's almost like when, when kids um, go to bus stops and they draw the little devil horns on the realtors on the bus stops. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that we, in our hearts, we make people into little devils. And, and we start to think, we start to really get bitter about certain people. And then what we do is when we're drawing those little horns on them, we, we start to sort of make up stories in our mind about how they're, oh, they're going to this person and they're talking about me and they did this and they did it actually as a way to attack me. And it actually ties back into pride because we end up building this life that's based around us and we say, oh, this, oh, this person's doing all these things because they're trying to attack me. And when the reality of it is, is no, you just see them as this little devil, but our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. They're not this little devil. And what happens is you're just so bitter that that's all you can see. But God never intended that you'd be a bitter person. But if you don't practice forgiveness, if you don't have a habit of forgiveness, that's exactly what we become. In Hebrews, Paul tells us, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will, look at that, see the Lord, right? We put up these things that stop us from seeing God. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, I could preach this, I could preach this, this, this uh, verse every single week. I love this verse so much. That no bitter root grows and causes trouble and it will defile many. It actually gets in there and it's that our heart should be this beautiful, you know, this beautiful flower, this beautiful soft gorgeous creation and then in there all of a sudden becomes this, this bitter root of nastiness. It's like, I don't know, it's like a weed growing in there. It's like, what's another gross thing that grows? I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's like something else getting in there that kind of taints all of it and is, it's disgusting and it's, and it's hard and it, it, it wrecks the soil and it gets in the way of this beauty that God is trying to create in our hearts and that God designed us for. When we forgive, we're becoming more like Jesus and so it makes it easier for us to experience Jesus. And God has called us to be peacemakers with people. What does it look like to forgive and live in peace? Well, we no longer want that sense of revenge. We no longer wanna pay people back. 
We no longer want to make sure it's like we're going around looking for like an e-transfer from people. You know how you can ask people for an e-transfer? It's like we're going around looking for that all the time. But when you give that up and say, I'm not concerned about them paying me back anymore, all of a sudden we, we start to pull out that bitter root that gets in our heart. We pay for it ourselves just like Jesus paid for us. See, we're becoming more like him. Forgiveness means I'm giving up my rights to revenge. God tore that curtain down, but we sew it back up when we have unforgiveness in our hearts. And in the same way that we miss the mark with God, people are going to miss the mark with us. And we are going to miss the mark with people. And in Matthew chapter 6, 15, it says, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Well, this seems like pretty contradictory because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. I, I, but, but here's the deal. Jesus is not talking about salvation in this verse. He's talking about personal fellowship with God. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message uh, version of the Bible, says it this way. If you refuse to do your part and cut yourself, you cut yourself off from God's part. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker, not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us with each other. And forgiveness is the key to your connection with God. Good Friday is all about God's forgiveness of us. But we also must embrace forgiveness towards people or we will miss the point entirely. And Sometimes when I talk to people and they, they bring up this sort of idea that they're, that they're mad at God, or they, they often have this unforgiveness even towards God, which makes no sense because God can't do anything wrong, so how, why would we need to forgive him? People get mad at God because they've heard people say things like, God is seated on the throne. God is in control. And then when bad things happen or when things don't go our way, we also say, well, God did this. There must be some greater purpose or this was, this was God's doing. But since when did any king control every little thing that happened in their kingdom? This is a false idea of God, the idea that he controls everything. It's not God we should be angry with. It's our wrong idea of God. Let's go back to the garden again like we started with. Genesis 1:26. God said, let, let us make man in our image. So we're made in his image after our likeness. We're made, this is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're made after their likeness. And uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle and over the cattle over all, and over all the earth over every creeping thing that is upon the earth over all the earth god will take care of us god will give us favor god will open doors for us but ultimately we are in control he has given us the earth but then he sends his holy spirit to be in us to guide us and help us figure these things out but ultimately if God is love, that means he will be there to comfort, guide, lead, discipline, disciple, but he will not control. God didn't even control Jesus. Why do we think he would control us? 
God didn't force Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus was here as a human. Jesus was, he was God and man. He wasn't forced to do anything. God wasn't using him like a marionette. And I think this is some people's idea of how God works, is that he's somehow just making everything happen and it's all about what he does, but he's the one who gave us control of the earth and then put the Holy Spirit in us to guide us on how we operate. And so we have to take down the curtain of unforgiveness and maybe a, a wrong idea of God by developing a habit, a habit of forgiveness. And the closer we get to him, the more we become like him. And if we are in control, like he says, he gave us dominion of this earth. If we're in control, we better make sure we know God. But I wanna be clear that we don't need to re remove these curtains to be saved. We remove these curtains because we are saved. We're not doing this because we have to do these things to get to heaven. We're doing this because we wanna create heaven on earth. And on Good Friday, our salvation was paid for that day. You do not have to earn. You don't have to earn that with God at all. You just have to accept that as a free gift. But then we wanna get things right so that we can be close to God. This is what we're designed for. We're designed to be in direct relationship with him. God's intention with humanity is that he would be with us. That he would be near us. When God made us, he said, oh, this is good. This is amazing. I love these people. And, and he wants to be close to us. He doesn't want us to leave on this, go on this earth and struggle through life and have the interest rate higher than it's ever been. You know what I mean? Like God's not uh, just like, hey, you figure it out, life sucks, and one day you'll be in heaven. No, he wants to be with you, yeah. give you peace, spend time with you, and have a relationship with you. Let's stand, we're gonna take communion as we end this service together. Communion is another way, it's not just a religious act that we follow because it's some sort of... Um, just a thing, a tradition that we have built in. And tra traditions are good. But it's a way for us to have fellowship with God. It's actually, what I love about communion is it is a, another way that we express our thanks to God. And so we, we express our thanks to God by singing earlier. We express our thanks to God by different things that we do. Uh, you know, the, our team right now, they're expressing thanks to God with how they serve. They're saying thank you to God. That's what they're, so they're serving him. But right now, we're saying thanks to God through communion. We're inviting him in and we're saying thank you that we don't have to live on bread alone. This bread is a reminder. We don't have to live on bread alone. We live on the word of God. And that this blood has cleansed us, has made us clean, has washed us clean, that we can come to God with a clear conscience, knowing that we don't have to do a bunch of stuff or you know, align our lives a certain way before we can come to God. No, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And so now we can come to God with a clear conscience. I'm gonna read uh, from you Jesus's words. Uh, he took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we no longer have to live under that old covenant 
This, this blood represents the new covenant, what Jesus did on the cross for us on Good Friday, who washed us clean and made us right with God. God, thank you so much for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for being that the sacrificial lamb for us. Thank you for, thank you for enduring what you endured on the cross. That when your body was whipped, you were whipped for our healing. We don't take that lightly. That you went through this pain. And, and, and now we, we, we remember your body that was broken for us. And we say thank you. Thank you that you did these things, God. Thank you that you did these things, Jesus. Let's, let's go ahead and take the, the bread. Thank you, Jesus. And now with the cup, it's such a great reminder of your blood that was poured out for us. That we have direct access to God, that the curtain was torn and now we can be with God. And even when we're, we're messed up, even as the future things that are coming that we are going to miss the mark on, we thank you, your blood has already covered it. That we wanna be near you, but as we wanna be near you, we know we're gonna get it wrong. But thank God, your blood has already covered us. Jesus, thank you for this new covenant that you poured out your blood for us. Go ahead and take the cup. The ushers are gonna pass baskets and collect those cups, but let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment. I just wanna take time to invite you um, if you feel far from God, if you feel like it's time to, to make a change in your life. You know that maybe you've, you've had family members drag you to church or, or you, know, you came here this morning reluctantly or maybe you're just unsure of where you stand with God, but you wanna get things right. You know, Jesus, like we, we've been talking about, died on the cross to pay for your sin, to wash you clean. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth and you'll be saved. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's how easy God wanted to make it for you to be in the new covenant. So if, if you wanna make that decision today, I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna ask everybody who calls Celebration Church home to repeat after me in agreement with you. We're repeating, we're repeating this prayer because we're lifting you up in this time, knowing that you're in a time that you're making this important decision. And this is a symbol that church is not just a place to attend, it's a place to belong. You belong with us. And, and we're here to help you and walk with you on this journey. So you're just gonna repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that you're my God and that God raised you from the dead. Today I ask, come into my heart. I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for what God's done. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.